and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why didn't I say this in German? I could have done that. That would have been fun. Alas. We can in Deutsch sprechen. Yeah, yeah. But our listeners won't be able to understand it. But that would be nice. Excellent. That was our guest, oh friends. Before I get to our guest, I have to do the normal thing of introducing the other panelists just so you know who their voices are. So I'm Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone. And then we have Justin Dorfman. Justin, how are you? V. Gates? I'm really excited because we're talking to someone from the Open Microsoft Foundation. Yes, we are. Is it Open? It's got a very MS. good face just there. It's Open MS. It's not Open oh. Microsoft Foundation. Doink. Awkward. Awkward. Uh, <laughs> yes, friends, we are talking to Samuel Wine. Samuel Wine is the executive chair of Open MS. Sam, it is great to have you here. Willkommen. Tut mir leid for my colleague over there who just totally did that. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Sam, for those of you who don't know, sits somewhere between data scientist, software engineer, and community organizer. He earned his PhD from UPenn in biochemistry and molecular biophysics in 2019, two fields, which the most difficult thing is probably naming things, just like everything else. And he's currently a postdoc at the University of Tübingen in Germany, where he lives with his wife, Amanda, and his cat, Athena. He's also the head of a software consultancy specializing in analysis of RNA using mass spectrometry. I can't even pronounce spectrometry. That's super cool. And he's the core developer of OpenMS and the executive chairperson. So this is a guy who has a ton of science and a ton of open source and a deep interest in open source philosophy, especially since he was exposed to Linux in his teen years. And he's seeking to expand the reach of open source software in the sciences. Sam, that was a long intro, mainly from your bio that you gave us. That's why it sounded a bit like it. I'm excited to learn a few things about it. To start off, how did you get started as like a coder as opposed to a scientist? I know why you became a scientist. Science is cool. But how did you end up being a coder? So I've always liked computers when the first time I really started coding was actually in middle school where I had a algebra teacher who was very progressive in his perspective that if you can write software on your graphing calculator to solve your homework, then you know how to do your homework fine and you can take it to tests. And being the strategically lazy person that I am, I took advantage of that full stop, realized there's just a lot of cool stuff that can be done with computers. And then ended up doing some IT work in high school. One of the big components of that was using Linux. And so it was looking at different distros and Ubuntu, I think had just come out at that point, which I think probably dates me somewhat, but spent the summer doing that and really just sort of fell in love with the concept of having control over my hardware. That makes sense to me. And I think that probably goes hand in hand with learning about open source. I mean, you can't learn about Ubuntu without learning about what open source is and how it works. So you went on to get a PhD in biochem. Along the way, you must have started developing OpenMS. What is OpenMS? So OpenMS is a set of libraries and tools for analyzing data from mass spectrometry experiments. And I'm not the founder on it. It's been in development in some shape or form, I think since 2007. But I found when I was doing my PhD that a lot of the work that I wanted to do was going to be a lot easier building on top of someone else's libraries and had some connections over here in Germany who said, yes, sure, we would love for you to work with our software and develop it. And so that's sort of more from there. 
I came over, I decided I liked it, both the town, the people, the project is great. And when I finished my PhD, they were nice enough to take me over here. And so I'm busy trying to make it better and trying to expand the reach and trying to, to really get everyone to be gung-ho about this. Unfortunately, the sort of space that we play in this analysis of mass spectrometry data is largely consumed by proprietary solutions that come with the instruments. And that unfortunately has some limitations that if you're doing the sort of experiments that the people who developed the instruments thought you would be doing, it's great. If you would like to do a type of experiment they didn't really foresee, it becomes much more challenging. So that's my plug for this as a project is that I think that open data and open science is all very important to have a a good idea of what it is that we're actually studying. So I'm going to need to know what is mass spectrometry again? Okay. So, so mass spectrometry is an analytical method that takes the components of a sample, ionizes them, so gives them charge, and then measures their mass to charge. But you can get the charge, you can back calculate the charge out of that and then get the mass of things. And so this is a way to get the mass of things that are way too small to put on a scale. So proteins, parts of proteins, you can do some really clever things with breaking them up in consistent ways. And it is very flexible. You can do anything from like the Mars River has one for doing soil sample analysis and doing atmospheric analysis. Mass spectrometry is used in metals analysis and metallurgy. It's also used in a lot of biological systems for querying what's going on with different proteins, what's going on in different cellular conditions. So it's really a, a very broadly applicable tool. Wasn't it instrumental in the mRNA research from Moderna and the other place that Pfizer teamed up with? So I don't know how much I can say about that. I know that they both use mass spectrometry for their RNA analysis. I know that this is something that like the last 18 months, everybody has suddenly become interested in therapeutic oligonucleotides, right? which is great because when I did my PhD on this, specifically looking at oligonucleotides, it was this weird thing that nobody cared about. And I was just this one esoteric guy. And it's been really interesting sort of watching that become something that people care about. Yeah, I I don't know how much credit we can take, but there are lots of other analytical techniques that were also necessary for that foundational research. And one more thing on that is how many times have you been trying to get recruited from those companies? Because it seems like they are growing at an astronomical rate. I think Moderna just posted $11 billion profit for the year. I mean... I'm sure they're looking for people like you. What's keeping you away from them? So right now, the main thing is the practicality. My wife's finishing up her master's degree while we're over here. And so that somewhat limits my mobility for the next, I guess, about year. After that, I would love to do work with these organizations. I would love to be able to do it in such a way that I can keep working with OpenMS. And we're sort of in the very early stages of talking about ways that can happen with a couple of different entities outside of us. And we're trying to figure out what that market looks like and what a relationship would look like. And it's all sorts of fun business stuff that I always just sort of dismissed as soft skills until I had to do it and then realized that, oh, this is really difficult. I definitely appreciate the people who go to school for this. OpenMS is 14 years old, according to Wikipedia. You have over 65 developers looking at the commits. There's something like 84 people who've committed code. There's 94 people in your author's file. So when you say, I was just a weird guy doing esoteric stuff, 
it's kind of not accurate. And you also mentioned earlier that someone else made OpenMS. You are not the founder of it. You're just now the core developer. So I'm curious, what was the governance process like? How did that switch happen? I feel like I need to give a little bit of background on that. My experience with scientific projects developed in labs is that they unfortunately tend to have a life cycle that is contingent upon the career path of the core developer. There's, I think my, one of my undergrad advisors, Charlie Peck said, there's a four-year amnesia in research at the undergraduate level. And it's, I think, five or six years at the, the graduate level, but there very much are issues with sustainability and maintainability once the original person has left. And this is something that I think has left a lot of sort of desiccated corpses on GitHub of projects that one person did and never really went anywhere. And so this sort of takes me to my side gig while I was in grad school was I I helped run Oticon, which is an anime convention in used to be Baltimore, now down in D.C., and got to work with a bunch of really smart, motivated people doing event management and event planning and got to talk with them about how they, in a 100% volunteer-run organization, are able to keep some sort of continuity for things like budgets and financial responsibility and contracts and all of this. And so was able to gain some skills during that and realized pretty early on in the postdoc while I was here that... A lot of the stuff that I learned trying to herd 30,000 nerds into a convention center also turns out to be really useful for governance and open source projects because it's all volunteer. It's all people are passionate about it and you need to be able to work with people toward their passions rather than the sort of traditional management where it's, well, if you do this, you get fired. It's no, we're all here because we want to be here. This has the challenges and beauty to it both. And so... I realized coming into OpenMS that this was a, a skill set that I had that I felt that I could contribute to the group especially well with. And so I started looking at, well, where can we go from moving out from being a, not entirely a single lab project, but having a good portion of the development take place within a single lab at a single university? How can we sort of create a steering committee so that we have some idea of where we're going forward? How can we start to look at things like potential partnerships, intellectual property, the sort of liability concerns, you know, making sure that we are doing all of our due diligence and all of the sort of nitty gritty things that running an organization is. And so that's, I think, pretty much how I sort of ended up in the the role of the executive chair is that I got relatively good at running meetings and people said, yes, Sam can do this. He seems like a good person for that. You know, speaking of partnerships for funding, you have three partners for that right now. Are they your go-to or do you have others that you kind of, you need to get more funding from different partners? So it's slightly complicated. A good portion of the funding for the project comes through the German government or other grant funding organizations. We are always looking for more grants. This is another issue with the scientific world is that the life cycle of these grants is relatively short. You need to continually be looking for more and you need to continually looking for more places. So we are always looking for more and more diverse funding options. It has been really good to see the European Union get really interested in open source. I was at the open source experience in Paris and there was a lot of discussion about how the EU 
where the, some portions of the EU government really would like Europe to be the destination for open source programming. I think that's really cool. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I think that speaks well for the potential for other funding opportunities here. And I think that I'm still very much in the learning process of how can we work with commercial partners in ways that don't compromise our core vision or compromise the accessibility of our software to everyone. Because I think one of the big benefits to open source software in the sciences is it makes it reproducible. It means that anybody can go and they can say, okay, we, you did this way, we can do it again and it will work. And I think of a bit in terms of if I tried to sell you a lab reagent that I told you, okay, this does X, Y, and Z, but I'm not going to tell you what's in it. You would just laugh at me. Nobody would do that. But if you're looking at proprietary software systems, that's exactly what it is. It's a black box that you are relying on them to say what's in it, but there's no real way to, to actually check. So this may not be possible to answer because it seems to be on a case by case basis, but can you give an example or talk a bit further about how you are keeping the project from ending up bending the corporate interest? What does that look like for you, right? Does that mean not accepting grant money? Does it mean not accepting features? Does it mean closing issues? Does it mean having limited hours of support? I'm curious. So I really wish that we had a more mature and complete policy. The way that we have handled it so far is by largely going after grants that are governmental and so don't have strings attached by making sure that our collaborations with companies are as equals where they are providing us with data and we're providing them with support and we all get to to publish together because that's the other sort of interesting bit here is that the coin of the realm is uh, papers and citations. So it's a little bit different, I think, than a lot of other fields. And so this works out really well because the company, the shareholders don't care about the citations, but the scientists do. So we work with the company, the scientists get their name on something, the corporate folks get better understanding of their data so that they can move forward as a company. And it just ends up being, my wife and I were actually talking over dinner about how overused the word synergy is, but the idea at the core is this is something that is, is beneficial to us and it's beneficial to them. And so it works together. What other revenue streams do you have besides your donors and your grants? Like, are there training programs that you are putting together or have together? How are you kind of diversifying that in terms of staying afloat? So we've done training programs with a couple of universities and have, I believe, gotten some funding through that. I think it largely just offsets the costs of the flights and the travel and whatnot. Like I said, again, this is something that I wish that we had a more concrete answer on. It is something that we're looking into. It's something that we really would like to figure out what is it that we can offer because we're in a position where we have software that's really infinitely configurable, but has the drawback of it is challenging to work with for non-experts. And so something that we're trying to do is figure out where is their demand? How can we put together a set of documentation that is better for people who want to get into this? So we actually have had a couple of breakthroughs in that recently. We were part of the Google season of docs and spent some time trying to use that to work on the the Python library documentation. And we actually just got some money from the Chan Zuckerberg initiative. And we're looking to do diversity, equity, and inclusion work with our project. Because this is something that I think there are a lot of benefits to computational science for folks who are underrepresented, especially for folks who are from countries where it may be difficult to get 
a million dollar mass spec, but it's a lot easier for them to do data analysis, to get into data science. And that's a good way to sort of help level the playing field. And so one of the main thrusts of that work has been to improve documentation. And we're also, this is my, my quick pitch, we're looking for a community manager as well, because we're looking to sort of move outside of just the circles that we've been part of so far and to, again, make it easier for people to get into this who might not be experts. Because like you said, there are a lot of big words. There's a lot of specialist knowledge that is tractable. People can get to do it, but it takes a little bit of a little bit more, I think, interaction with us than we've been able to give so far with uh, the crew that we have. So you came to Tubingen as part of the Oliver Kohlbacher lab, which is great. So I'm very bad at phrasing this any other way than I'm going to phrase it. I mean, you're a white male. I'm a white male. Oliver Kohlbacher sounds like one as well. And I'm guessing that most spectrometry PhD students probably are as well, because science is not the best at Jedi work. It's great that Chan Zuckerberg initiative is working on that. I know other initiatives are also very interested in having equity, which is fantastic. And I know I've seen you in locations. You were at the Open Source Summit in Paris. I know I've seen you in Oslo Plus looking around for ways to try and get better policies. You've mentioned a few times, I wish I had a better policy. I wish I had a better policy. I'm curious, besides documentation, is there any way you could think of looking at your organization and then the wider field as a whole of really improving Jedi work and having people come who are not white males? Is there anything you're working on besides that? Yeah. So we're also, we're working on setting up an internship program that would do funding for folks from diverse backgrounds to come and do a couple month placement in a lab who was interested. We're doing work to try to hold some of these training sessions that we've done outside of places like Boston, Massachusetts, or the big cities in Germany. And I'm really grateful that we do have the team is not entirely white men. So that's good. And that's something that we're looking to expand because I think that is helpful. And it's really interesting because the lab that I did my PhD in was experimental in lab work. And it was, I think, about 60, 40 women to men and very diverse, very diverse in terms of where people came from. But as soon as you move over into the biotraumatic space, a lot of that diversity, unfortunately, seems to be more lacking. And so it's something that we're trying to figure out how can we help people who maybe from diverse backgrounds who have lab science experience get into bioinformatics if they want to. I mean, that's always the question is, I think that this is something that could be really career expanding for folks. And we really want to make sure that we can offer that and that we're not limited by the the viewpoints that we have and the, the unfortunately, the inherent biases that come with where we come from. So we've seen in open source projects in general that the most charismatic tend to stick out the most and get the most funding. Uh, this happens on Open Collectives. This happens on GitHub sponsors. The people who are really good at marketing themselves tend to get more people to donate to their projects. And that's like open source and especially like JavaScript, Babel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things I'm curious about is that it seems like you were chosen as the executive chair and you were chosen to come over to Germany because of your people skills, because of your facilitation skills. Those are soft skills that are not normally taught in bioinformatics courses or under PhDs. In PhDs, you're normally learning a very hard science. You have managed to navigate where you're able to sit in both worlds, someone who's a people person and a code person. That may be a false dichotomy, but it's a story we're all familiar with. One of the questions I have for you looking at 
other open source projects, particularly open source projects in the sciences that are looking to have charismatic people come and help out, looking to have community managers come out, is what can they do except suddenly grow social skills? How can they make it easier for other people to get involved? Honestly, what has been really helpful for me is the liberal arts background that I had. I went to Burlam College, which is a small Baker school in Indiana. I think it's like 1,100 people. And took a wide variety of classes during my undergraduate, which included things like history of sexuality and studio ceramics. And during those different trainings that were outside of my area of expertise and outside of my norm, I think that I became a better scientist and I think I became better able to talk to people from different backgrounds. And so I guess that would be my suggestion for groups that would like to get more charismatic people and get people who are have these people skills is to to have people reach out and find things that they are passionate about that are outside of their area of expertise and grow in that direction. And I feel like that's something that is really condensing 18 years of education into a couple of sentences. But that's, I think, the best thing that I can come up with off the top of my head. I think it's important to care about people and to realize that people are interesting. But I don't know how you bring that to somebody. I would agree that that is a very difficult task. I mean, that is basically the like number one goal of education in the humanities in general. I haven't heard a lot of developers say that. So thank you for sharing. I agree with you. I mean, I teach Latin. I just bought Sex at Dawn, which is a historical sexuality book. So I'm right there with you on that one. Not a frequent topic on this podcast. Yeah, weirdly. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I, I think learning to think and learning to interact with different media than you're comfortable with is really helpful. I agree. Um, which actually I have a question that follows up from that, which is you're the executive chair. You're working on trying to make things awesome. You're working on internships. You're obviously working on something else in the sciences. I'm sure there's some very technical problem you're trying to solve right now using open MS. So one of my questions is what is hard for you right now that you're interested in learning and changing besides just Jedi work, which we've talked about at length here, and I'm not minimizing it. I'm saying we've already covered that. What else are you really interested in doing with OpenMS that would lead it to be more sustainable and lead your career to be deeper and more complex and therefore more interesting for you? I would like to convince more scientists of the importance of choosing their software based on its openness and based on these sort of open data and open code perspectives. Because I think that there's unfortunately this idea of go with whatever gets the work done fastest, whatever is prettiest, whatever is easiest to use. And that neglects some of the other costs that are associated with it, not just the monetary costs, the transparency costs, the fact that anyone in the world can go and download OpenMS. That's not true if we were doing analysis using some vendor software, which costs $100,000 a year. And so I would like scientists especially to care about it more because I think we're living in a world right now where science is incredibly important and we need to hold ourselves to the highest standards that we can and be open with people because I think a lot of problems we've seen recently is people have this idea that science is fixed and there is one right answer and it's not, well, we thought this, now we think this. And I think that exposing people to that and being able to have them dabble, I think is going to be really helpful moving forward as a society. I think it's the same with hacking. But yes, there is no big capital S science. Science is made up of lots of things. 
Science is also built on the shoulders of giants and nothing happens alone in science. It, it's all a community effort. So towards that end of helping other scientists learn to choose software based on its openness, what groups would you have them join? What has been useful to you in terms of communities of practitioners working in open source and science that you would suggest? So there's the Open Bioinformatics Foundation, which hosts a number of projects. And th that would be, I think, a, a good place to, to start looking at at open sourcing the sciences. Unfortunately, a lot of it's still really decentralized. I think that's the big one. It tends to be clustered around the university that it was developed at rather than the sort of thematically linked groups like we see in a lot of other open source. And so again, I think it's something that really development needs to happen. We, we do some work with the Open Bioinformatics Foundation. We do some work with UBIC, which is European Bioinformatics Conference. I don't know off the top of my head. We're, we're doing community. a bunch of community. Okay. Thank you. Standards work with the HUPO PSI, the Proteomic Standards Initiative. And these are all groups that are, are working toward this. But again, this is, I think, relatively specific to the field of the science that I'm in. I would love to see something that's across open science in general is important. And I'm talking with some folks about trying to work on that because there definitely are folks in other fields who are doing this and we need to bring our field toward that as well. Having published a couple of papers of bioinformatics myself, I agree with you. It does tend to be very small and very centered on bioinformatics as a thing. It doesn't really get out. It's kind of like the linked data people, kind of like the crypto people. Let's all just work in our own little fields, which it happens. And, and there are exceptions. Kevin Owaki, I'm sorry for throwing you under the bus just now. Samuel, we are running up on time. So where can people find you on the internet to learn more about how they can collaborate with you, work together to make open science better, or just learn about your cat? Cat does not have a website yet, which is an oversight that I should probably rectify. Sorry. <laughs> so the project is openms.de. We're also available on GitHub. Let's see. My presence is, is largely through the project. I have a GitHub account on there. I have a LinkedIn. I do need to actually get together and put together a website. You can email me at sam at samwine.com. So I do have the domain name ready. I just have never gotten around to actually writing the website. The best way is the email is good. Pull requests or bug reports for OpenMS are wonderful. We're always happy to get feedback. And yeah, I think those are probably the best ways to contact me right now. Awesome. That's wine, W-E-I-N, pronounced Vine, probably in Germany. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on. I really hope that things go well for you and for OpenMS, and for bioinformatics in general. I don't think anyone has mentioned OpenBio, UbicMS, or standards all that often on this podcast. So I'm just really grateful to have another look into what open science looks like, which is the open asterisk stuff is so closely linked together. And there's very few people talking yet about all of them. So I'm just, I'm so privileged to be able to have you on to see another sector. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really have appreciated this. But we are not done yet, oh listeners. Now is the time for Spotlight. Spotlight is the bit of the show where we highlight person, things, people, which we love, which have helped us out, which has helped us grow. Justin, what is your Spotlight today? I really wanted to talk about Git NFT. Sam mentioned open-bio.org. And then there's this link to biojs.net. And it is the coolest thing ever. It has this featured visualization like it's a web gl object and i just can't stop playing with it so biojs.net i mean i'm sure it's open source but i'm not positive but yeah yeah it, it is open source but yeah it's the coolest thing ever so thanks sam thank you justin 
All right. My spotlight today is going to be along the vein of you should follow what you're interested in and all things are good and we should all grow as better humans. It's going to be Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time has meant so much to me. I remember very well being a very troubled teenager and devouring his books and falling into Randland as deep as possible. I'm currently on my ninth reading, which is very exciting. I just listened to the audiobook by Rosamund Pike because, of course, there's a show now and the show is mostly atrocious, but I love it. And if you want to go see it, cool, go ahead. But the books are there if you want to dive into a world that I find simple enough to be beautiful, but complex enough to keep me interested again and again. So thank you, Robert Jordan. Although you passed away on my birthday in 2007, you were dearly loved and your works are wonderful. Samuel Wine, what is your spotlight today? So I think probably following up on the media stuff, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about Anathem by Neil Stevenson, which really got me interested in a lot of long-term thinking and a lot of what can science do towards sustainability on the sort of long now type scale. So I guess that would be a, the secondary call it long now folks. So yeah. Long Now is awesome. Anathem is very cool. Do not do the audiobook, everyone. Just read the actual book. I tried the audiobook and gave up, and now I need to read the actual book at some point. So you could try it if you want. Maybe you've read it before. Sam, once again, thank you so much. It was great having you on here. Let us know how it goes. And I'm sure that if people want to get in touch, they will do so. If you get in touch with Sam, please let us know. You can probably also just post in the Sustain Discourse forum. And we will show that to Sam if he needs it, if he's not there already. Just a shameless plug there for all things sustain. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I am. Uh...